We've been walking through the book of Colossians throughout the month of July. And this Sunday is our final Sunday. Next week, I'll be bringing a really important one-off message for us as we kind of close out these talks today. And I've been loving where we can take a chance to slow down and really study God's Word. I think the most important thing that we can keep in our focus is what God has to say about this life, what God has to say about us, what God has to say about who he is in our life. I think about this word saturate, right? That was a word some youth pastors in my life used to tell me about. The best thing you can saturate your life with is God's word. You think about a sponge, you know, you put it in some water, you soak it up. Whatever you soaked it up with is what's going to come out. I always think about back in the day, I was I used to binge watch crime TV shows all the time. And one of my fa favorite ones to watch, this is back in the days of like DVR. You guys remember those days where you had to record the shows and you didn't get so much space. And if you lived with roommates or your family, you would get in arguments on who got DVR priority because you had so much space. Like, who deleted my shows? Hey man, you got like 15 of those saved, all right? Like, you, time to catch up. But one of the shows that I would DVR and always watch was the show called Criminal Minds. And I would watch it all the way up until... I would fall asleep, and uh, yeah, some of you are pumping your fists out there, but there, I had to stop watching it, because I would watch it all the way up until I would fall asleep, and then, man, I would have some crazy, crazy nightmares, just like all this stuff, someone's coming out to get me, someone's coming after me, I gotta call the police, and then it began to manifest in my behavior in my life, right, where I would be walking into my house at night, if it was late at night, I would try and see how quickly I could get my keys out to turn the deadbolt and get inside and slam the door shut and close the door and lock it, because then I was safe, right, and I realized this, watching so much of this is totally messing with my mind, and now it's beginning to affect my behavior. Well, in the same way, in a much more serious sense, the amount of time we spent soaking up God's Word is going to affect our sleep. We could all use better sleep. But it's also going to affect the way we behave in life. That when fear creeps in or doubt creeps in, we're going to remember, oh, man, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Jesus is in my life, so I don't have to worry about anything that's going on. I mean, because Jesus promised me that He's overcome the world. I know that I'm more than a conqueror through the Jesus that lives inside of me. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I have a friend who sticks closer than a brother in Jesus. When those things begin to saturate your mind and you soak up those things, it's amazing how it just becomes second nature. And it begins to be the influence in our life with how we're led and where our thoughts go and where our words go and where our actions drive us. And the whole idea of this book of Colossians has been that Jesus is it. He is the main thing, the only thing. It will always be about him. And I've encouraged you to realize the reason the book of Colossians in the Bible was written is because there were people that were attacking the church in Colossae at this time, saying, nope, there's more to life than just Jesus. There's more to life than just Jesus. He's not as important as he said he was. He's just a part of life. And the apostle Paul wrote to this church and said, ah, ah, don't believe any of that stuff because it's wrong. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He existed before everything and will exist through all time. Everything was created by him and for him and through him. And today we're going to hold on to this truth today that when we understand that about Jesus, our life has to look different, has to change. And here's what I want to give you today. The title of the message I'd love for you to write down is this. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. If I could have an honest confession for you as the pastor of the church, let me just give you some insight. 
into a conversation that happens in my mind every Sunday afternoon when I'm driving home. I don't live too far away, thank goodness, so it's not a long conversation, but it exists. And it's this conversation right here after I've given the message and shared, here's what goes in my mind. Ah, I should have said this. Or I should have said it that way. Oh, I forgot to say that. Or I shouldn't have said that. Or that joke didn't land. Oh, man, I'm so, I'm so, I should have made it a different point or used a different example or that fell flat. All this going through my mind as I'm driving home because we know that we're our own worst critics. Anybody else have that conversation with yourself sometime? Like, oh, why didn't I do that? Why did I say that? Oh, I sounded so dumb in that conversation. They think I'm a fool, right? That's what I have. That's the conversation I have when I drive home. And the thing I have to realize is, is that there are going to be opportunities in front of me that I want to take advantage of, that I want to make the most of. And the ones that are even more important than the platform opportunity that I'm so humbled to have every Sunday is the one-on-one opportunities I have with people. That opportunity when I ask that cashier or that barista, hey, how's your day going? And they say, ugh. I don't say, oh, well, yeah, me too. I say, hey, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can pray for you for? Or can I just tell you, man, there's hope today because Jesus loves you. And to not let that be hijacked by weirdness or shame or anything like that. But to make the most of every opportunity in our families, in our workplaces. To be the example and the representative of Jesus. See, at the end of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, hey, whatever you do, just do it all for the glory of God. See, it's not just about speaking on stage. It's about the way you care for the people around you, the way you're invested in, in the people around you and, and remember their name and remember their story, remember what has gone on in their life to make the most of every opportunity. And that's what I want to give you today, kind of the recipe how to make the most of every opportunity. And Paul unpacks it for us in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. It'll be up on the screen, but you can read it with me as well. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And here's a great title for a message. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And as we unpack this verse today, I want to give you a couple things that I hope to introduce you to and just remind you of. Is again, during this whole collection of talks, we've been using two words that Jesus, he is supreme and he is sufficient. If Jesus is supreme, it's mean, it means he's the authority and Lord of my life. He's in control. He's on the throne. He's on the stool like we talked about last week. If he's sufficient, it means he's always going to be more than enough, no matter what. Can I promise you today, I haven't lived that long, but for 34 years of my life, Jesus has always been enough. He has never left me wanting. He has never left me, left me desiring. He's never let me down, and he's not about to start now. Jesus is sufficient, and he's more than enough. And if you've witnessed that in your life, give me a good amen today to the sufficiency of Jesus. That's what you're invited to today. But that can't just exist on paper, and it can't just exist on notes that we write. It demands a response. There has to be a Monday morning response to this, a Tuesday afternoon response to this, a lifestyle change to this, because it can't just exist here. That was the temptation in the church, in the Colossian church. 
was everything was about head knowledge. Everything was about knowing the right things, but it never would manifest in your life. And Paul is reminding the church, remember the church, the followers of Jesus, you can know everything about Jesus. You can know all the Greek, all the Hebrew, backwards and forwards, memorize every verse. But there, if there is no lifestyle response, it is good for nothing at all. There's got to be some change. There's got to be a response. And here's why it's so beautiful, why it's so powerful, because it's incredible that God's plan is to use us, to use you and me, his church, local city church, to see his kingdom come to earth. I mean, when you begin to realize that every kind word, every encouraging prayer, every listening ear, every time where you served someone and cared for them, you were building the kingdom of God, it puts a whole new perspective on everything. I mean, I feel like for me, there's no greater pain in my life than when I feel like I'm working so hard and nothing is happening. I feel like I'm going to the gym and I'm just leaving the same way every time. I feel like, I feel like I'm learning this thing, but it's just not sticking, right? But I gotta promise myself and I gotta encourage myself that one day the ceiling's gonna break. One day I'm gonna take a step off that plateau that I've reached and I'm gonna begin to step into deeper understanding, deeper health and deeper victory than I ever knew before because I simply didn't give up. And I reminded myself that this is about God's kingdom, not Ryan's kingdom. Here's the great thing I want you to know, this is for every single one of us today, is that Jesus has chosen us to tell the good news of our restored relationship with our Creator. And again, Paul was trying to remind the church in Colossae the biggest temptation that some of this mystic philosophy and belief called Gnosticism was doing as it was taking over some minds of the church was convincing people, and maybe you're convinced of this, but I want to disprove that conviction today, is that God is far away and wants nothing to do with humanity. That God is sitting up, this is what I believed growing up on, growing up in, you know, kind of a religious church, is that God's just up on a cloud very far away from me and just pointing his finger saying, well, that was wrong that you did that, and I'm disappointed in you here, and you missed the mark there, and, and he's just far away and wants nothing to do with my life. I've got to earn the right to know him and be with him and for him to love me. And Paul's saying, nothing can be further from the truth. Your relationship with your heavenly father, local city church and the Colossian church has been restored through Jesus. And I just want you to accept that gift and receive that gift and understand how that can change your life. Because today, here's the thing, our response is simple as we pray and jump into the depth of this message, is to make the most of every opportunity. I'd love for you to write that down somewhere in your notes today. I'm just gonna commit to pray to make the most of every opportunity. And would you pray with me as we dive into this this morning? Father, I'm so thankful for the worship that we've had. I'm so thankful for the prayers that we've had and encouragement and excitement. And God, I pray right now that we would slow down. We would turn off any other noise or voice that may be happening in our life right now and simply listen to you. God, I'm thankful for the amazing people of Local City Church. I'm thankful for all of our kids in local city kids right now that are learning about Jesus and about the love that he has for them, be with them today. And I pray that you would pour into the next generation and love on them. And God, we just open up to you today and we trust you. We listen, we lean in, we write some things down because we simply respond.
to make the most of every, every opportunity in our life. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Come on, give me a good amen if you're ready for the rest of the message today. And get your excitement ramped up. Would you do me one last favor and welcome everybody that's watching for Local City Online. Come on, give them a shout so they can hear you. We're so glad that you're with us today. It's going to be a great day. Type in the comment section where you're watching from today and what stands out to you, because I go back and read those things, and it means a lot to me. Well, I was thinking about this idea, again, of making the most of every opportunity and what Paul is saying here in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 2. And some things really stand out to me. The first thing that stands out to me is in verse 3 where he says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Jesus. Now, and I look at Paul's life, even to this point, and I'm like, Paul, you've planted churches all over the known world at this time. You've led people. You've given your life to Jesus. You had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. You've seen miracles happen. There's one really kind of one of my favorite miracles in the Bible. I'll just tell you this. Now, Paul was a great writer, but he was kind of a boring teacher. Like he was an older, kind of angry guy. And uh, when he, he would teach for a long time. And there's one story in the book of Acts that I love. He's teaching and a guy is sitting in the window and the guy falls asleep falls out the window and dies, and Paul has to go down and raise him from the dead. Imagine how awkward that was. Like, the guy's like, whoa, whoa, what happened? And Paul's standing over him like, well, sir, I was teaching about God and the love of Jesus, and you fell asleep and fell out the window and died. And in the grace that I have for you, I decided to raise you from the dead so you have to live on this earth a little bit more to learn more about Jesus and listen to more of my sermon because I'm not done. So come on upstairs, right? Like imagine that. But I love Paul. He's done amazing things. But still, coming to the end of his life, when he writes all these books, it's coming to the end of his life. He's in prison. He's in prison for planting these churches. He's in prison for bringing the good news of Jesus, which always puts in perspective the persecution that you and I experience. And Paul is still saying, give me more opportunities, God. Give me more opportunities to let people know about the Jesus that has saved me. Give me more opportunities about the Son of God who conquered death and has freed his people and restored them back into relationship with their Heavenly Father. Give me more opportunities to plant churches. Give me more opportunities to pray for people and see miracles happen. If I was Paul and I'm in prison, I'm like, yeah, you know what, God? I'm good. Take me away. I'm ready to go. That wasn't Paul's heart because he knew there were still lost people out there. He knew there were still people that were hurting and broken in their sin, and they felt like God was far away from them, and they didn't realize that God had stepped down to this earth in his son Jesus and showed us what love and hope and joy looks like and to show us what's possible in the life that we were created to live. When we messed it up by sin, our Savior was greater in the way that he has given his life and conquered death and is alive with us today. And Paul simply wanted to know that. So for us, it's that unquenchable fire to make the most of every opportunity. And I love that he says, you know, I also like Paul because he's kind of direct. I feel like I want to be this way when I'm older. I, I'm one of these people I tell Adrian all the time, I just can't wait to get older. I can't wait to get old, actually, is a better way to say it, because I feel like you can just get away with things. Like, you can just say things very directly and just be like old grandpa or old guy. I'm like, he's old. He doesn't get it. I'm like, no, I do get it, and I'm just going to tell you the way it is, all right? I just like that. I'm, I'm ready for that mantle of leadership to be placed on my life. People are like, you're, you're getting gray in your beard. I'm like, yes, I can't wait. Give me more gray. I'm excited about it. Helps me look more esteemed and more, you know, like I have more wisdom in life maybe. I'm excited for it. And I love what Paul says. He says, that's why I'm in chains, church. Don't forget, just in case you forgot. 
And I'm not ashamed of that I'm in chains. Because some people were saying to, about Paul, well, he's lost. He's been thrown in prison. He's lost. He got caught. It's all over for him. And Paul's saying, no. no, no. <laughs> I'm in chains because I'm continuing to move the gospel forward. I'm in chains because I'm continuing to make the most of every opportunity. That's why I'm here. He's reminding himself that God knows that he's in chains. Right? I need you to understand that you may feel chained by some things right now. You may feel like life would be so much easier if you just turned your back on God and went this way. But I want you to know the difficulties that you're facing, they're going to end. The chains that are holding you back, they're going to break because nothing is stronger than the victory and champion of the name of Jesus that you and I serve and that we have given our life to. So God knows that you're in chains. He knows you're dealing with some stuff, but this is not the end. One of my favorite things that Paul says is he goes, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think when he was writing this in prison, he probably, wrote the, he probably wrote this while speaking it out loud. A lot of times, Paul, because he was old, he couldn't see. He was kind of feeble in his hands. He couldn't write as well. It was very, there were times, that's why he says at the end of some scripture letters, he says, and I, Paul, write this in my own hand. Because he had like doctor's handwriting by this time. It was bad. Like we try and, you know, read notes from Shepherd's doctor's appointments. I'm like, what does this even say? How am I supposed to help my son? I can't read this. That was Paul's handwriting, right? And so he would give a lot of his letters like auditory to Luke or some of these other disciples or the followers of Jesus that we're going to talk about in a second, he would give it to them and they would write it down. And what I love about Paul is I think I find him probably saying that statement out loud like for the, for the soldiers to hear that are keeping him in prison. Hey, just so you know, to live is Christ and die is gain. Meaning in the soldiers' minds, they're like, okay, well, if we let this guy live, he's just going to keep doing what he's doing and telling people about Jesus. And if we, threaten with him, with him, with, if we threaten him with death, he's just saying that's to gain. So what are we going to do to this guy? We can't knock this guy down. That's exactly what enemies in your life and weaknesses in your life will have to say to you because they cannot defeat you. They cannot knock you down. They cannot destroy you when your statement is understanding that Jesus has saved me. And if I get to live, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. But if I die, you know what? I get to be with Jesus. So I win. So to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I promise you, there is no more freeing posture to live in our life. And we may not be there yet, but we can get there. It's how, we, it's how we can look, apply what Paul says, devote ourselves to prayer and, and living in thankfulness, to make the most of every opportunity, to have the simple response to lean into what God is saying and doing in our life. And I don't want this to be a mystery for you. Like when Paul says, I want to make the mystery of Christ plain, it's not so much a mystery like the board game Clue, you got to figure out who done it, right? It's more about people just don't know it and I just want to tell them. I mean, it's not a hard mystery. It's actually very simple. The answer is Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. Is God far away? No, look at Jesus. How much does God love me? I mean, look at Jesus. Am I really forgiven and free? Look at Jesus who's conquered the grave. So you know, the mystery is easy. And I want you to know today you may be facing some mysteries, some doubts, some questions, whether you're here in person or watching online. I just want you to know the answer is Jesus to know him more and trust him more. Not because you have to, because you get to. Not because it's about checking a box of rules and regulations, but to go deeper in an intimate relationship with him. How do we do this? So how do we make the most of every opportunity? I'm gonna give you three things today. I really would encourage you to write them down. The first one is wise behavior. Wise behavior. I'll give it, I'll give it a second to let that one soak in because I'm going to have to have some honest moments with us as followers of Jesus. If you're still figuring this whole thing out, you don't know, if, don't know, you know if 
the Jesus thing is all you yet. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Have the questions. Have the doubts. We're praying for you. We want to have a conversation with you and just help you walk this thing out. You're off the hook for the next few minutes. But if you follow Jesus, you're not. Because this is kind of our life, so. We'll let it sink in for a second. Our behavior has to look different than the world. That's just the plain truth of it. That the way we behave, the way we respond, the way we react has to look different than what's popular in culture. It has to look different than what comes easy in maybe the world around us. We have to hold strong to the things of Jesus. I encourage the team with this this morning, and I'll encourage, it, I'll encourage you with it today too, and I will talk to, I will meet with anyone in our church about these things one-on-one, because I believe that's where the conversation should happen sometimes. But if you want to take it down and condense it down all to the life and words of Jesus, which again is what this book is about, Jesus is supreme and sufficient in all things, and it demands a response. If you look at the life of Jesus and everything that he said, every difficult topic in culture in the world today is addressed specifically by Jesus. So I look at things that people are now, for lack of a better way to put it, deconstructing or moving away from or saying isn't true anymore, and I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not the case. Jesus' life says differently. And you can't say things like, yeah, I love Jesus and the way he lived, but completely discount what he said. You cannot be friends with someone and say that, you can't say someone is God and then say everything that they said is a lie. You can't disagree with all the words and teachings and wisdom that he gave us. You've got to surrender to it. We have to submit to it and trust it in the supremacy of Jesus. And wisdom is applying that knowledge. Because I will say, it's been used and abused by the church and church leaders in the past. Where they said, I know better, so you should do this. But it was more of a do as I say, not as I do. Because I'm a horrible example of all the things I'm telling you to do. We have messed up a little bit as pastors and as, church, as, as, as the church before. But that doesn't mean we throw it all out. Because it's still true, it's still wisdom, and it still needs to affect our behavior. Look at this definition of wisdom. I read this in a commentary I wanted to share it with you. It's really cool. It says, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule books run out. It's knowing how to become all things to all people without compromising holiness and truth. It's creativity and thoughtfulness. It's having an eye for what people need. In order to buy up opportunities for God, we have to be wise in our behavior. Think about it this way. My son Shepard, we tell him a lot, don't touch the stove. Don't do this thing that's going to hurt you. And he can know it and recite it and memorize it, but until he does it, it's not actually going to affect his life. Until he says, you know what? I'm going to apply what mommy and daddy told me and I'm not going to touch the stove. I will tell you that he has learned the hard way and we've heard, ah, my finger. Told you, buddy. We still love you and we'll wrap you, but next time don't do that. It's the same thing, and, and as a father, when I walk up to him and ask him to do something, I don't want him to come back minutes later if I say, hey, buddy, can you go pick up the toys in your room? I don't want to go into his room and see all the toys on the ground and him say, well, daddy, I wrote down that you said it, or I memorized that you said it, or I can say it in Greek now, or I know what the context of when it was written. Like, Shepard, I don't care about any of that. I just want you to do it, all right? And God would say to us, like, we, a lot of times we, we hear this, you know, I want to go deeper in the Word. That's great. But just so you know, what Jesus was saying about depth, it doesn't matter if it's all here. If it doesn't manifest in your behavior, and it doesn't begin to play out in your actions, words, and deeds, what is it good for? Another thing that Paul said, if I do all these things, but have not the love of Jesus and the love of Christ in me, it's like a clanging symbol. 
We don't have the drums out, but if I walked over and banged on the cymbal for like five minutes, you'd be like, please, for the love of God, stop! I'm getting a migraine. That's what our life is like when we say all the right things scripturally, but we don't actually change behaviorally. And let me give you some sources of wisdom really quick. There's four sources of wisdom that I believe we need to take inventory today of where they're at. Scripture. Where is our inventory of how much scripture we're being filled by? That's why we gave you this journal for this whole series, to walk through a devotional so that you can spend time in God's word, so that you can realize that God wants to speak to you. I don't want your relationship with God ever to be only about what I say on a Sunday morning. I want, it to, I want it to be sustained by what God says to you on a Monday morning and a Wednesday morning and a Thursday morning where he speaks to you directly. And it's in those moments where you find wisdom in prayer, where you pray, God, help me make the most of every opportunity. God, I pray that I would just empty myself of all the things that I want to do. And I pray that you would just fill me up with the things of your son, Jesus. Community, what we're doing right now, I need you to know, you don't know everything. I don't know everything I need to know in my life right now. And the only way I will find the wisdom that I need is when I get around other people. Well, I get around other people and ask them, hey, what, how did you get through this in your life? How did, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do here. And having a conversation with, with, like that with someone in church is a million times better than just Googling the answer or just trying to find the next book that answers your question. When I sit down across the table from someone and I ask them, hey, how'd you get through this? And I hear the emotion in their voice. And I hear the, in, the intentionality and intensity of, the, of the, how they're speaking, but how it really did help them, how they really got through it. When I sit down, I, you know, I have a pastor. His name's Pastor Q. And you should never go to a church with a pastor who says he doesn't have a pastor because we all need one, right? I'll just tell you that. And I have one. When I sit down and ask for wisdom from him, I don't second guess him and say, I don't think, no, no, I don't, I don't, that's not, I don't think that's the right way. I'm not comfortable with that. No, I say, hey, Give me some wisdom, and I'm going to apply it today. Give me some wisdom, I'm going to apply it tomorrow. That's the gift that God's given us. One of the best things we can do as we're learning about Jesus and, and following him is find someone maybe who's a little bit farther ahead and say, hey, how'd you get through this? Can you, can you show me the way to go? Can you help me here? And whatever they say, you just lean into it, and you trust it, because that's the power of community. And then you put it into practice. Put it into practice. I remember... When I was learning to play guitar, uh, when I was in middle school, um, I hated practicing because I had to, you had to build up these things on your fingers called calluses. Like when you press the strings down, it hurts for when you first start with it, but you got to build up what's called calluses so that your, your fingertips are a little stronger to hold the strings down and play the notes. Remember, I hated practicing in the beginning, but once I built up that kind of tenacity of like, oh yeah, I got the calluses now, I'm good to go, I was like, man, I love practicing. And that's kind of the awkwardness and pain sometimes it takes to put these things into practice. But once they become second nature, once they become a part of who you are, it's like, man, I love practicing the things of God. I love practicing the wisdom of Jesus in my life. I love practicing the fact that I can pray for someone, that I can have the presence of God in my car on a drive into work or at my home or on a walk. I can practice those things and they begin to affect and influence my life. There's a, there's a word that Paul uses in the beginning of chapter, beginning of chapter four in verse two, where he says, devote yourself to prayer and always be thankful. He uses this word Gregorio. I've told you like the little Greek words, the peak of the Greek that we do, and it means to watch, to give strict attention to, and it's active in our life. It's actually a word that's used a lot in scripture when it's talking about the watchman on the wall, those who served in the military. Like, hey, you gotta be on watch, because if you're not, it's not gonna go well for everybody on the other side of the wall, 
okay? So don't fall asleep. Don't get distracted. Don't get lazy. And what does Paul say to be active, to be on guard with, to stand on top in the watch post watching with your thankfulness? Your thankfulness of, God, I cannot believe what you've done in my life. God, I can't believe you brought me from here to here. God, I can't believe that no matter what, Jesus, you have always been in control and you've always been more than enough. So help me learn that more and more in my life. Let me give you number two, but I want to intro with, with another translation of Colossians chapter four, verse six. Here's what Paul says. The second thing is that you got to let, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you ever been to lunch and your food's a little bland, you know you got to throw some salt on there. I like a little salt, add a little taste, add a little flavor. Well, constantly the followers of Jesus are referred to as needing to be seasoned with salt. What does Jesus say? You are the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth, meaning that the earth should look a little different when you're walking around. You ever had it where like it was a, it was a little bit of a untrustworthy salt shaker where like you went to do it and like the, the cap popped off or it poured out way more salt than you were ready. And you're like, ah, they ruined my lunch, right? Well, I want to know you, I want you to, I want you to know today there should be influence like that in your life. Not bleh, but oh, there's something different about you. You're seasoned with something different. You're not seasoned with animosity or division or hostility or hate. You're not seasoned with wishy-washy faith. You're seasoned with salt. You know me, I love alliteration when I give you, give you the points on a Sunday morning. So the first one was wise behavior. The second thing is we gotta have salty speech. When we speak to someone, it's gotta be seasoned that influences them and impacts them. It doesn't sound like every other thing that they hear. That, do you know why people follow Jesus? Not just because of the miracles, but constantly you see people say, hey, come listen to this Jesus guy. He's speaking about God in a way we've never heard before. He's speaking about the things of God and his, he speaks with authority and he speaks with power, but he also speaks with this welcomed posture and approachability that we've never seen before. It was seasoned with something that they had never witnessed before and it made a huge difference. Can I tell you now more than ever that you gotta have some salty speech. We gotta have speech that doesn't sound like every other argument or every other division, hate agreement or whatever it may be. It sounds like every other social media voice or news outlet our voice has got to be seasoned with the salt of the good news of Jesus that when people experience it's like there's something different about you and I want to know more about it tell me more I had to shut down a salesman yesterday at my house coming by trying to sell me something he's like hey do you have do you have bug treatments here and I'm like, I think so. I think a guy comes like once a year. He's like, well, oh, that's not enough. You need all these special type of, I'm like, bro, I've never even seen that bug in my house before. And you're telling me I need that treatment. It's okay, buddy. Hop on your Segway and go somewhere else. I don't, I don't tell me anymore. I just gotta be, I'm trying to play with Shepard. Shepard's wanting to see this guy's pictures of bugs. And I'm like, Shepard, please, you're not helping me say no to the salesman. All right. I don't want to know more. I don't need that. It doesn't help me. But when I hear someone say some wisdom, some salty speech about the things of God and the things of Jesus and that life is, a, is more than just what I see or feel sometimes, I tell me more. Wait a minute, you're telling me, more, you're telling me that God wants to be involved in my life because he feels so far away. You're telling me that God knows my past and still wants something to do with me. You're telling me that God walked the earth through his son Jesus and he was more than just a teacher or a good guy. He, he gave his life for us 
and he conquered death and he's forgiven us and I can give my life to that? Oh, tell me more. And sometimes it's just telling your story. Let me give you some more alliteration because I think it's good. The secret sauce to salty speech is right here. It says this. Spend time every day reminding yourself from Scripture why the gospel tastes good to you. You ever been to a restaurant that you haven't been to in a long time, in a long time and you're like, I forgot how good this place is. We need to come here more often. I forgot how much I love this dish. And you begin to tell other people about it. See, if I were to walk up to you after church today and say, hey, you should really go to this place for lunch, and, I, and you say, well, why is it so good? I, I don't know. I've never been there. Well, why do you, why do you tell me to go? I don't know. It just, I mean, it, I've read the reviews. It's not going to mean as much, but if I say, man, I've been there, the hospitality there is second to none. Oh, man, if you like this, man, they have the best dish of that. And you begin to lean in and listen to me because it's personal, because it's a testimony because I understand how it affected and influenced my life. Sometimes it's just about taking some moments to remind yourself of how good God has been to you. And if you have breath in your lungs in your life today, check mark, God's been good to you. If you look back at your life and realize the broken relationships and separations and hurt and abuse and addictions and anxiety and fears and depression and void of purpose attitudes you felt, you see how he's walked you out of that? you begin to remember, man, God's been good to me. I wrote it down in my journal this way to remind myself this, that it's hard to salt your speech with the deliciousness of Jesus when you haven't been enjoying the taste yourself. My encouragement for you is, is when the psalmist David writes this, honestly, this is just our hope for you at Local City Church, is that you would taste and see that God's good. Taste and see that God is good that his love endures forever, that his mercies are new every morning. Taste and see that when you pray, he listens. When you worship, he's with you, whether it's in your bedroom or the hospital room or the, a walk on the street, God's with you in those moments. And when you begin to salt your speech with that, man, it just tastes different. It tastes like something's been inspired. It tastes like it can have an influence on someone. And I think about it this way. Um, you don't have to put, uh, throw that quote up if you can go back to the, that statement. Uh, I grabbed our salt shaker uh, from home because I love this salt shaker because it kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. It's because I believe we all have these instances in our life. We all have these moments in our life that kind of accumulate and they begin to add up. And some of these moments are good. Some of those are, these moments are very difficult. But we begin to see and take inventory of all the things that have happened to us, all the things that we've said and done, the journey that got us to this point. And there's something very essential and very important that has to happen in our journey of faith for God to really use these. And we have to let God kind of turn upside down everything that we think we know about ourselves, everything we know about life. We've got to allow him to fill us, but it, it's not just that. I wish it was that easy. But for God to really begin to salt our speech and salt our life and help us make the most of every opportunity, he does have to do a little refining. He does have to do a little breaking. Remember how I said in that, in that quote about wisdom, how it's complete holiness? In the Bible, it says God is love. It says that God is love multiple times. But 10 times more than that, it says that God is holy, meaning that he is set apart. He is calling us to higher understanding. He is calling us to a different form of life. And when we place ourselves in his hands, there are going to be moments where he has to kind of twist us a little bit and break us apart so that we can season our life, so that we can season other people's life. 
love. So we can season those who in our life are hurting and broken. And if we're unwilling to go through the twisting and turning and breaking that sometimes God has to offer, we're never going to live the life that we were actually created to live. Frustration is going to be prevalent in our life because we're holding on to things that God is saying, let go. We're holding on to things that we're not trusting God with. He says, I know some of those things I'm going to break, but some of those things I'm going to build upon. Would you just trust me? I can use what's inside your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit, but you got to place it in my hands. And whether I got to break it or whatever I got to do to twist it or turn it upside down, I'm going to use it. And it's sometimes in the breaking where we see who God really is. I'm going to invite Kristen to come out and play for us as we close today, because I have a story I want to share with you, and I'll give you the third one right as we close. There's a pastor that Adrian and I have been influenced by. He pastors a church named Bethel Church in Redding, California. Adrian got to go to their worship university for a season in her life, and just recently, um, the pastor, his wife, um, she's been dealing with cancer for years. And in the last week, her cancer kind of came back with a vengeance and just entered to one of those moments where she's only got moments to live. It's like every day is a blessing. And she ended up passing away, I believe, on like a Friday morning or Friday evening. And Pastor Bill Johnson of Bethel Church gave a message on Sunday morning, two days later. You talk about seasoned with salt, the breaking. They've been married for years. Kids pastored a church for years, grandkids to lose your best friend and spouse that you love more than yourself in an instant. That's breaking. And I would encourage you to look up this message um, because it's probably one of the best messages I've ever heard about grief and loss. But I wanted to share an excerpt with you today about, this is some salty speech right here. If you throw it up on the screen, it says that God is not a vending machine that I get to put a quarter into and withdraw from him whatever I want. He chooses what he gives. But it's the wicked at heart that say, God didn't do what I wanted and he's a liar. May I never be found critiquing God when things don't go my way. May I always be found having a heart ready to be critiqued by him. Let's keep going. He says, is God my friend? Of course he is, but he's my Lord first. And I'll never have the pain I'm feeling right now in eternity. But in this moment, it's a privilege to respond rightly to the Lord of my life with deeper trust and devotion. I'll bow before the lamb on the throne in awe and worship him forever, but never will I have the face-to-face chance to do that while I'm in pain. So in this moment, I choose to do that. When I said yes to Jesus, I gave up my right to fully understand or be in charge of my life because Jesus is the supreme. Jesus is the sufficient one. I love this because I love how he leans into the fact that, you know what, there's a beauty in this life because when we get to heaven, it's kind of easy to worship Jesus because we're in a crowd of billions of people and Jesus is right there shining as all his glory. But when I can't see it, when I disagree with what God is doing in my life, when it's hard and I have to surrender, there's something beautiful about the cost of worship in those moments. Can I tell you today that if your faith journey is just one of convenience or compromise or comfort, You'll get into heaven, but you'll get there and look back on your life and realize, man, I never really fully trusted that God was who he said he 
was. I never fully saw God move in my life in a powerful way that was more than I could ever ask or imagine. I don't want comfortable, complacent, convenient faith or opportunity. I want opportunity that is costly because that's what Jesus did. His cost was great because he gave his life and took on my sin. So even when I don't get it, even when I don't understand, I understand that God is not only my friend, he is my Lord and I trust him and I lay it at his feet and I say, God, I don't get it. I don't agree, but you are my God. You are my heavenly father. You love me unconditionally and you know better than I do. You're in charge. And man, I'm going to tell you, it's a freeing place to live. Not easy, but it's freeing. Wise behavior, salty speech, and the last one is this, individual attention. I love our church so much, and I love the people in our church. But I would be doing a disservice to you if I said this was all about the 30 to 40 minutes I speak to you on a Sunday. Man, there's so much power inside of you because Jesus is inside of you. There's so much strength inside of you because the Holy Spirit breathes power and courage and joy into your life to overflow into the lives of others. And there's individual things in our life that God needs to break and turn upside down and twist around. And we have to have individual attention to the people around us. So my prayer for you today is number one, to always realize how much individual attention God's given you. You're sitting in this place today by no accident. God's got something for you. And that invitation that brought you here matters. And God has seen your life and he's just wanting to be close to you and wants to draw deeper close to you and bring you into the deeper things and stronger things that he has for you. And there are people around you that need your individual attention. You ever talk to someone at like a networking event or a party? I can't stand talking to people like this. It just drives me crazy. Where, they, where you're talking to them and they're like looking over you like, Oh, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Well, who else is here? You know, I hate that. Well, I feel like spiritually we can't do that to people around us. Someone's right in front of us, whether it's a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, the cashier, or the barista at Starbucks or co the coffee shop. There's someone in front of us who is telling us something, and we have the salty speech and wisdom and attention that they need, but like, what's what else is going on? What's going on in my life? Or, what, what, you know, I... I I did order. Can you give me, give me what I ordered? I don't have time for this. No, no, no. Slow down. Individual attention. Here's why. Because each person is different. Each situation is different. But Jesus is the same. The gospel is the same. And there are countless ways to serve it. There are countless ways. Some of you are, were impacted by the message today. Some of you were impacted by the worship. Some were impacted by the host team that, that were holding signs and waving at you and saying, we're glad you're here. Some of you are impacted by how excited we were to have your kids here. So many different ways. Someone in your life is going to be impacted by a kind word or a smile. Someone is going to be impacted and seasoned with salt by the, the prayer that you pray for them. Someone is going to be radically changed forever and the generations of their family are going to be changed forever because the individual attention you gave them by inviting them to church next week to sit with you and experience the same God that has redeemed you and restored you and saved you when you didn't deserve it and brought, into, brought you into the family of Jesus who is close and with you and they just need to know that individual attention. I would encourage you tomorrow, God, help me make the most of every opportunity. Give me the time to pay attention and lean into you. And that's the best prayer we can pray every day. Let's have some wise behavior. Let's look different. 
Let's have some salty speech. Let's sound different. Let's have some individual attention. Let's live different. So people can see, man, what do you have? And whatever it is, I want it. Whatever it is, seems authentic. It seems real. Would you just tell me more? Our answer is simple. Our response is simple. Jesus is supreme and sufficient in my life and in everything. It's in Jesus' name we surrender to that today. If you believe that today, come on, if that encourages you today, would you give God some praise today? And would you stand to your feet as we close? And as we stand, would you just bow your head and close your eyes?